Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Personal Finance brought to you by Liberty, your financial partner on however and whenever you picture retirement. You can live it your way. Hashtag in it with you. Liberty Group is an authorised FSP. T's and C's apply. Warren Ingram from Galileo Capital. He's a financial advisor and executive director at Galileo Capital. It's this great topic of the RAND and what we do about the RAND when it comes to investments. A lot of people see investing offshore simply as a way of de-risking against one of the world's more volatile currencies. The problem with most people when they start investing offshore if they once they get their heads around it and they get a decent advisor and the advisor tells them you know do it this way that way and the next way um is that they then go okay i'm going to do it but i'm only going to do it when i'm really scared so when the rand gets to 16 17 18 19 to the dollar i'm so out of here i am renting out my basement of my house to somebody so I can make extra cash so I can take it offshore at 19 to the dollar. Then comes to about 14 to the dollar, uh, which is a good third stronger than it was in the crisis. And people go, oh, good, the crisis is over. I don't need to invest offshore anymore. And they take their foot off the gas and they miss out on opportunities to do precisely what was probably quite a good plan in the first place, just their timing sucked. That's the... A brilliant uh, summary of, of investor behavior in, in one very short cycle, I think. Uh, and what's so interesting is it's, it's, it's almost like you were uh, sitting in a conversation I had on, on Tuesday with a foreign exchange company that deals mainly with private investors. And I said to them, you know, how busy are you folks now with, with the RAND so strong? I imagine you must be absolutely pumping. And they said, no, uh, in fact, you know, they, you know, half of our trading desk have actually gone on holiday because the RAND is strong and people are not <laughs> so interested in, in, in dealing now. And so, you know, we've, we've sent them off on holiday. They haven't had a break for quite some time. Uh, and, and, you know, that will give them a chance to recover before the next bout of volatility. And, and so that behavior that you've just described is, is an absolute reality. I mean, it's, uh, you know, fascinating to watch. And, and so I think for me, just looking at this story now, um, and, and we look at, you know, potentially a bit of RAND weakness in, in, the, in the few days ahead if, if American inflation becomes an, an, an issue and causes world markets to become increasingly afraid, um, it, it will cause more people to look at the RAND again and say, oh, hang on, you know, I, I should have done it at 14, but now I'll do it at 15. Uh, and, and I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, what we need to understand about the RAND is it's always going to be volatile. Uh, and, and what we start to do when we watch the RAND is we say what, whatever happened in the last six months or a year, well, well, that's likely to continue for the next six months or a year. And it certainly was the case when the RAND was falling apart. And now that it's strengthening, investors are starting to say the same thing again. Well, you know, I can, I've, I've heard fund managers, for example, saying, you know, it's definitely going to hit 13 and someone asking, will it hit 12? And, and I'm not saying it won't, but, but, but the reality is anything around 14 Rand to 15 Rand is a really good rate for, for, for converting rands into, into dollars. And if it's right for you, you, you should be dirt. You know, you, we can't get the market timing of the rand right. No one can. Uh, and we always look silly when we try to predict it. I think we should stop wasting time talking about the rand then, because actually we should be talking about how to make the decision to and what, because, I mean, it's hard enough investing in South Africa with its many, many, many uh, unit trusts and its many, many, many um, exchange traded funds. It's, it's hard enough here. You then, and we're half a percent of the global economy, you then say, all right, let's look at offshore investing. And then you open up 
a completely different world of hundreds of thousands of investment options that are literally open to you, courtesy of the wonders of the internet. True, and 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 I think the uh, maybe the way to to narrow this down and and simplify it uh, um, as easily as possible is firstly let's divide the world uh, the world's investment options into two. One is do you want to pay fund managers to to select companies or properties or bonds uh, and 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 decide to give them the money and let them make decisions on your behalf in in terms of them saying we've done the research. We think we know what to buy. That will do very well for the next, you know, month, year, decade, uh, and and that would that would r- roughly give you one set of options. The the other would be to say, I, I don't think anyone understands how the world's going to unfold. I don't think anyone can predict it or choose really well. I'm just going to buy an index, and and so it, you know, depending on how how much faith you have in fund managers, you, you're going to go maybe one route or the other, or or potentially you just you, you just say, well. Actually, I don't have a clue. I'll just go half, half, and see how it goes. Uh, and, and so, to me, I think that's one. You know, the, w- one simple way, if you're an investor with a smallish amount of money, is is to say, you know, costs really matter in in the investment world. Don't try to be too clever. Don't try and choose a whole, you know, bunch of individual shares yourself, and potentially don't pay a fund manager to do that. R- rather, just buy one global index. Uh, you know, if you've got a small amount of money, and and add to that on a regular basis until that becomes your kind of core global holding, and, and I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with following a strategy like that. I, I do think there's merit in in adding a fund manager or adding you know bu- buying investment companies where 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 there are fund managers who decide what to buy. But, but okay, hold whoa, 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 hold on a second. So fund managers, we understand. I hope we understand because these are people who do things like run things similar to Unitrust. So we understand these are people whose job it is to buy and sell shares. You then said buy investment companies. What are those? So an investment company uh, is typically listed on a stock exchange. The the, the original ones were, were mainly listed in the UK, and, and that's they certainly still dominate. Uh, in, in the old days, they used to be called investment trusts, and and so it'll be a share that trades on the on the on a stock exchange. But the sole business of that company is to try and find investments that they buy on your behalf inside that company. So so it looks a little bit like a, a unit trust, except that uh, it doesn't have unit holders who come in and out of that company all the time. So if you, you know, normally if you're a unit trust investor and you want to buy into a unit trust, you will allocate money into the fund and therefore your money goes into that whole portfolio and the, and the unit trust issues you shares in that unit trust. They'll, they'll just call them units. And then one day when you want to sell, you will actually sell the units back to the unit trust company and they will give you your money back. And that means that unit trusts are prone to big inflows or outflows when investors are either really excited about the world and they decide they're going to buy into your fund, or if they become panicked, they, they then sell out of your fund. And, and that means that your fund, you can't really control the capital that's inside there because you know panicked shareholders might or unit holders might force you to sell at, at perfectly the wrong time, which is often how our life unfolds, unfortunately. And an investment company, that doesn't happen. You, you, you know, if you're going to buy a share in an investment company, you're going to go into the stock exchange, you're going to buy it from somebody else who's, who says, I've got shares to sell. And one day, if you want to sell again, you're going to put them on, on, on offer on the stock exchange and hope that someone buys them from you. So it means the capital inside the company is always fixed, which is a big advantage when, when markets are really volatile.
Okay. It's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, and it's, there are just so many options. And that, the scary thing also with all of these options that are open to us is that I think we're probably quite scared of making mistakes. Hence your recommendation that we go for, for the most globally global uh, sort of diversified exchange-traded fund that we can. Um, or do we mix it up? Do we say, let's get one of these old trust companies? Do we add into the mix a global unit, a global ETF? And then perhaps to add what what fund managers call it, add alpha and add some risk and excitement, then throw a big chunk of money at China. Uh, and uh, I know you, you're uh, apprehensive about Chinese regulators and legislation and the way in which um, they're clamping down on some of the big companies at the moment. But I, I'm just trying to get some sort of idea as to whether or not you can get a balance in these things in terms of, you know, yes, you can buy the overall index, but, you know, after a while you start getting, you know, a little bit bored with, you know, having a, a minuscule part of a, a thousand companies or whatever it might be. So, so I'm going to tackle you on this because because I think uh, if you're bored with an investment, that's a really good sign. Uh, <laughs> investing should it should not be an entertainment or a contact sport. It should be something that uh, is is predictable, monotonous. You know, because investment markets on their own are already very unpredictable and very exciting. Uh, you know, to buy an investment that you want uh, you, with the aim of trying to be even more exciting th- than investment markets is, is I always think, is, is, is a great, uh, great way to potentially lose money. So, so I think if you've got an investment that, that you find is boring because it's so, it's so well diversified, and, and I'm specifically referring to an index here, you're probably in a great, uh, a great okay. investment. However, I'm not, uh, I'm not arguing against the point that, uh, of choosing a fund, uh, a fund manager or an, or an investment company. I, I think it depends on size of money. So if you're investing small amounts, please go the index route. It's going to be better for you. If you've got larger amounts, then you know having half your money in an index makes all the sense in the world to me. And then allocating the balance to an investment company or or selection or or you know global managed unit trusts. A good idea then, but but I think it, it is about size. And then my very last comment, because I'm going to run out of time, is just be careful where those things live. In other words, the jurisdiction of those investments is really important. You, you don't want investments that are uh, you know listed on the American stock exchange or the UK stock exchange because there are a whole lot of nasty taxes that will catch you out. Uh, just be clear on this. You want them listed there, but the people through whom you invest can't be domiciled there because that comes to the capital gains tax problem. If somebody's got a platform that sits in Jersey or at the Channel Islands, anywhere in the Channel Islands or in the Isle of Man or whatever, they can be buying shares on your behalf that are listed in London or in New York or in Shanghai and doesn't matter where. But as long as the, the sort of the portfolio lives in a tax-friendly environment, you should have some protection, right? Correct. So, so in other words, let, let, let's just say, um, you know, you buy the World Stock Market Index, the MSCI World Index, Th- then you need to buy the one that's listed either in Ireland or Luxembourg. Yeah. Don't, don't buy the one that's listed in America, because that has a big uh, estate duty implication for you. Thank you, Warren Ingram. He's a financial advisor at Galileo Capital. Got an email from Derek who's very nice to us. Uh, he says, I've got a question for Bruce and Warren. Uh, my bank, uh, it says, it gives you an option to use your reward points for investing uh, or spending on travel and other items, which I have done. Uh, they do, however, not only allow you to invest in one of their own exchange-traded funds. I made the error of choosing a property equity fund a while back, which has been horrible. I'd like to switch, perhaps higher risk, seeing as I don't need the money right now. Which fund or top three 
might I switch to? That is the question from Derek. That is the challenge, the gauntlet that is thrown down uh, to Warren Ingram this evening to find something more advantageous uh, on a platform, an investment platform, and uh, it's not a property fund. We don't want to go anywhere near property funds. That's Derek's view anyway. Uh, We'll put that to Warren in a moment. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. So Warren, Derek's got a bank that gives him rewards and allows him to invest the value of those rewards in uh, funds that the bank's partner runs. He's invested in a property unit trust, is very unhappy uh, with the performance of that property unit trust, understandably so. Should he be switching out of it? I'm, I'm so glad you asked that question because, well, Derek asked the question. Th- thanks, Derek. I think um, th- there's some lady by the name of Anne who's been really angry with me for quite some time because I, I spoke about property a few years ago and she's really bleak that oh, I, I haven't did, spoken didn't about it again. Yes, you so, did. You, you said, oh, what a good idea. And it wasn't. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about it, Derek. It's so nice and, to know and, that you're human, by the way. I, I mean, if I, if I cut you, which I won't, um, would you bleed? I think you would now that we know that you're human. <laughs> so, uh, I think the first thing is uh, for someone like Derek, who's got a property fund and and is wondering now what to do. Important to understand why did the investment go down, and is there a, is there a change in circumstance that will cause that investment to go up, or should I cut my losses and look for something else? The fact that something's just gone down on its own, unfortunately, is not a great reason just to sell because you might be selling just before it it has a big rebound. So sure. in this instance, why did property go down? Well, you know, there were two reasons. One, it, it wasn't all COVID. It would be a mistake to say that. It, it started a while before that, and it was, you know, it was a lot to do with a dying economy in South Africa, th- thanks to the previous uh, president of the ANC. Uh, and and then we had the, the, the COVID, COVID arriving and lockdown causing enormous uh, damage to the property sector. So... You know, I, I probably can take some blame, Anne, from from the the president's part of it, but uh, but uh, giving me the blame for the COVID's kind of rough. So for for Derek, I think the the comment there is if we're seeing some reforms in South Africa, and if we are st- starting to see the impact of low interest rates having an upward kind of push on property prices, exiting the property fund now might not be your best idea. It might actually be selling it. Kind of, it, it's already had quite a nice recovery over the last twelve months. But you might be selling it, you know, at the time where it starts to give you even more reward and payback for the big losses that you've seen. So, would I switch? Well, if it's not money you need, and, and Derek's saying it's not money he needs right now, and he's happy to take a long-term view, and he does say high risk, then, then it might pay Derek to actually stick it out and 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 stay in there, and then potentially with new money. Uh, look at a RAND denominated overseas fund uh, for, for within your tax free because you're allowed to do that, and, and because the RAND's so strong, that that's another good opportunity. And, and you know, to me, getting a blend with inside a, within a tax free is not a bad idea at all. Um, and you know, the, the property call might still be a very good one in the future again. You know, I think, and the world is unlocking itself again. Okay, thank you, Warren. I mean, it's it's again doubling down on the bet. Uh, but here's the thing: I mean, you, you're looking for something better, but everything else has run so hard and so vigorously. Um, you know, had you made this call uh, when everything bottomed out in April May last year, you could have sold your property unit trust, your property units at uh, you know for virtually nothing, but you would have then got 
massive growth assets um, had you made a smart choice back then. The problem with this thing is the, the timing of the choice. He's fed up, he's frustrated, he's had some time to think about it, and now he wants to switch. Um, and, uh, and, and as you say, it may very well be an expensive mistake. Uh, Derek, good luck with making that call. A little phrase of the week for you. Um, it seems like a deceptively simple one. A deceptively simple one. What is a developed market? I think I know, but do I really? It's it's interesting because I think it's actually uh, it's it's becoming an archaic term. You know, in in the old days, you would say we we divide the world up in in terms of investment opportunities between emerging markets and developed markets, and and developed markets are classified as you know economies which which have a very high level of income as a as a country. And, and then secondly, that their markets are well regulated, that, that it's easy for money to flow in and out of those, uh, the, those economies. Uh, and there's a, there's a sort of a general strength of, of rule of law and, and investor protection and you know, good, good laws and good rights. Uh, and, and generally in the past used to be associated with larger economies. And then emerging markets were considered to be smaller, smaller economies less well-regulated, more restrictions on the flow of money in and out of those markets, etc. And interesting, why I say it's interesting now is because Hong Kong, for example, has for a long time been considered a, a developed market. And I would have to say now that, that it, you, know, you can't say that it's easy to move money in and out. And you can't say that there's lots of investor protection and, and you know, kind of rule of law because it's, it's a very different kind of set of rule of law now than it was 10 years ago. Uh, so, so I think that we must be careful of, you know, as investors of, of, of looking at something like a developed market and saying, oh, well, that's immediately safer, better, because, you know, if you'd only ever invest, invested in developed markets, then you would have missed out on China for the last decade or two, which is still not considered a, a developed market, you know, even though it is the second largest market in the world or economy in the world. And that's the critical point here. It's, it's not necessarily just about size. It's about rules. It's about your protection as an investor. It's about your ability to take a government to court if that's what you really need to do to protect yourself. And I think that's where the distinction is coming in now. Lots of protection for investors in developed markets, less in, in emerging markets, but potentially in the future, more opportunities for growth in the in emerging markets. Mm. Got you. Thank you, Warren Ingram from Galileo Capital.